Right, wrong. You don't even know what I'm talking about. But see, it's, it's these little into windows. And, that's, and Revelation is just loaded with them. But what we're mostly looking at as we go through these books is, is trying to um, see how the story has already been told in the Old Testament. Remember, the Old Testament, the New Testament concealed. It's all in that book. Everywhere you look in the Old Testament, little bits, freezes, lo, I come in the volume of the works, and all these little statements and prophecies that God gives to us. Well, Revelation now is almost backwards. Jesus is throwing these little crumbs that are just so powerful. But we're going to read, and we're going to open in prayer. So pick it up at um, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7, and we're going to read about the church of Philadelphia. Take it to the end. Verse 7, And unto the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and he that shutteth, and no man openeth. Verse 8, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them as the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them which dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast, which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him a new name. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's look to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you to praise you and thank you for another day upon your earth, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we do ask, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what you say to us, Father. Lord, you said that we'd be blessed by reading thy word and by hearing your word, Lord, of this prophecy. And for this, we thank you, Lord. I thank you for all that have come. Just pray you give me ears to hear now. And those at home, Father, your blessings be upon them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're working our way through these churches, we're going to see a few points on this one. But as we come down, remember, we've gone through the church of Ephesus, which we saw as like, you know, Elmira Baptist. It is like the church you want to be, except, except, you have no love. You just do it. And, 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 and as we, we look at these churches, we're going to see they do represent actually times in our Christian life. If you've been saved for a amount of times, you've had these growing cycles. But also, they're symbolic of the ages of the church. And I don't really buy that one so much, but yet it does fit when you see the typical patterns of, of church age over the time. But then as we went down and we saw that the next church, well, the church of... Um, 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 Smyrna, how they just suffered. Jesus didn't have nothing bad to say about them. They were just, they just had a hard time. Sometimes Christian life is just that. It's just hard. It's like you just go from one trial to another. I know when I first got saved and not knowing, you know, the spiritual life. I didn't know these spiritual matters. I didn't know them. You had to walk through them. And when Satan attacked and people attack you and things go wrong, you don't even know why. You don't know why these doors are closed. You're up there trying to rattle and pull the knobs. And I couldn't understand why. As you get older, you learn, and that's hopefully where 
wise people show us as we go. But we see Smyrna suffered. They just suffered and suffered and suffered, and they kept going on. And we see the next church. You know, we see the next two churches, actually, where false doctrine just came into the church. Satan's now come on the pages after he couldn't kill everybody. And then he realized, well, if I can't beat them, join them. So Satan joins up in the church. And we see those couple, as the doctrine of Nicolaitans, the doctrine of Jezebel, false doctrine, lasciviousness, worldly living. It's just people live for the world. They don't live for Jesus no more. And that's why Jesus said, I will come unto thee. We saw last week the church of Sardis. Well, they just thought they were somebody special. They said they have a name. We were the first little church of blah, blah, blah. We've been here for 99 years. We feed all the poor. We do all the hungry. See, they boast on their own selves. They have a name, but they're dead. There was a church, and in, 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 if you've been saved any amount of time, we have all gone to a dead church. The church I came to before here was pretty dead. I mean, it really was pretty bad. I felt literally like what he said, that there's a few, there's a few of you. And a lot of churches, these little corner churches, they're kind of all over America. Here in Vacaville, even to some degree Elmira, but Elmira would be a bigger church compared to a lot of standards. You know, 40, 50 people, the, kind of a big church nowadays. Uh, a lot of churches got four or five. I know right after I got saved, I went to a church. There literally was us four and no more. And that's how many people were in that church. That was a Mission Baptist church. But see, Jesus is still in the midst of that church. But now we're going to start looking at Philadelphia. And as we're going to look, we're going to start looking, start looking at, again, who Jesus is. This, remember, this book in the volume of the book, and that includes Revelation. It's all about Jesus. If you can take your Bible, and when you start reading, think, where do you, how do you see Jesus in this verse? And it really will change your perspective, especially as you read the Old Testament. When you still, you know, read Obadiah or, or, or Haggai, how do you find Jesus in that book? Oh, he's all in it. And we're going to go through some characters, some um, verses today. But if you will, Revelation chapter 7, if we look, we're going to see who the person is. Who gives us this message? Who gives us this message? None other than Jesus Christ. There's a picture of Philadelphia, modern. It's still there today. It's one of the few cities that's actually still intact. Um, But we're here about Jesus. And he starts telling us, in verse, in, in number one, turn, turn to your outline, if you will. Number one, we're going to see his character. He's holy. He's holy. I mean, we, we read that word and hear that word so many times. At least I do. Sometimes it's just I hear holy and it just slides right by me. Do you know what holy actually means? The actual word just means to be separated, set aside. It's a part. You're different. Uh, Peter would tell us we're supposed to be a holy nation, a peculiar people. Not weird but different. We're, we're set apart. He says he, he's holy. He's holy and true. And as we start reading this, that's, that's his instruction. Jesus gives a little piece of his personality to every one of these churches. Every one of these churches, he tells them a type of who he is. And on this one, he's reminding us that he's holy. Well, the first thing, who's holy? What's the, what's the Bible says? Yeah, they crucified who? The holy one, the just and the Holy One. And we see that's one of his one of the names he uses. But I like to take this in, in just a small verse just to show you a little bit of the deity of Jesus Christ. You see, we have Revelation 6.10. Turn over there just uh, another page or so. And this is where the seals are coming down. And, but these, now we have the first time we're seeing the people in heaven. When the first time we're getting a view of heaven and all the tribulation saints. And in verse 10, Revelation 6.10, we read, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long? O Lord, holy and true. Well, who is he talking? Who are these people talking to? Well, they're at the throne. 
And they're talking. Who are they talking to? The Lord, who's holy and true. See, we say this is the Lord coming, but it's none other than God. Because you see the verse before that, they're crucified for the word of God, or uh, killed for the word of God. Jesus Christ is God. That's just a simple fact. I'm here to say it. Jesus is God. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ is the very God that made heaven and earth, creation, that he came in the flesh, he was born in a virgin, he died and rose again the third day, and he is coming back again. And when he comes back, he's bringing all the armies to heaven. If you can't believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord of hosts of the New Testament, I stand in doubt of your salvation. Because the Bible says you have to believe that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is God. Because if you're not believing that he is the God that can take away the sins of the world, then what do you believe in him? And that's what Jesus is trying to show these churches. Because a lot of people come to church. A lot of us hear the word of God. We're under the word of God. But it never got in their ears. It never got in their heart. And after a while, you get under the word of God, you learn to perform like the word of God and act like the word of God. And then you can start doing it mechanically. But you don't do it out of your heart. And that's what the Lord is trying to, going to show us here to prove what's in your heart. So we see his character. He's holy. We see that he's in control. I mean, who doesn't know that God controls everything? Sure feel like my life is out of control sometime. I know that. But we see, look at the second point, that he is in control. That he has the, he tells us he has the key of David. And that right there, the key of David, is really only quoted one time in the Old Testament. So why would Jesus come in front of the church of Philadelphia, and of all the things he can claim about his deity, he throws that one out? Why would he say he has the key of David? Good question. We're going to answer that. What he says is in um, verse 7, Unto the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right? These things saith he that is holy, he that is true. Wow. You know, the, and I like this, the very first verse I ever memorized in my whole entire life, in the whole Bible, the very first verse, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said, I am the truth, the word of truth. Thy word is truth. He is the truth. Jesus doesn't lie to us. Why, why did he have to? The Bible says he can't lie. He just can't. I mean, that would be impossible for God to lie. So he's true. But then he goes on and tells us he has the key of David. And I, I just, you know, I kept kind of thinking that. Well, that's a strange passage, but look, turn to Isaiah 22, where it's quoted from. Turn to Isaiah 22, and, and we're going to see it's, it's an interesting passage. Of all the things it's written to, it's written to the treasurer. It's not written to a king or, you know, a priest, but it's actually written to the treasurer. So let's pick it up, Isaiah, turn to Isaiah 22. Uh, beautiful verse. Let's back it up just a second. Back it up to verse 15, because this is who he's talking about. Verse 15, Isaiah 20. Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, that's Jesus, go get thee unto the treasurer, even unto Sabina, which is at a house over and say, what hast thou here? And what hast thou that thou hast hewed thee out of a sepulcher? Let me show you this. There's a sepulcher. And I actually got a picture of it. This, this right here is this verse fulfilled, literally. Our God is an awesome God. Where he heweth them out of sepulcher on high and a grave of the inhabitation. See that? He actually did. He graved his own name. He, right in his own grave. He, this man actually did this. And God, in his wisdom, called him out. Verse 17, Behold, I will carry thee away in a mighty captivity. See, God has been telling about Babylon going to conquer this Isaiah, you know, Israel's already wiped out. God's going to wipe out Judah. 
And he tells them, verse 17, Behold, the Lord will carry thee away with a mighty captive and surely cover thee. Verse 18, He will surely violently turn thee and toss thee like a ball into a large country. Can you imagine that? Just like picture God taking a ball. Boing, remember how we used to take dodgeball and he slam it down and make it bounce up? Well, what, he, what he's saying is, you build, you got all these plans for the future? <laughs> nah, that, that's what, you're going to Babylon to die. But since you're going to Babylon, let's pick it up in verse 20. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hekiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe. Oh, God's going to take his stuff and give it to give it, and strengthen him with thy girdle. And I will commit the government unto his hand, and he shall be a father and inhabitant of Jerusalem and the house of Judah. And here's our verse. Look at verse 22, Isaiah 20, 22. And the key of the house of David will I also lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open, and none shall shut. And he shall shut, and none will open. Wow. Exact quotation. Now, according to him, means um, to raise up. His name means to raise up, to God to raise up. And then he starts talking about raising him up. And then when he changes the subject to about this nail, that's about Jesus. This is a messianic verse pointing to to the Messiah, but also pointing to his crucifixion. Because you look at verse 25. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in sure place be removed and be cut down and fail. And the burden of the Lord. It's a Messiah. But God takes his verse back to Revelation. And he applies this and he's showing, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I'm going to take it from them and I'm going to give it to them. Well, does not God do that to us? He raises up one. He put it down another. Let's see. As we keep going, we see what we got the challenges we have to face. He doesn't open the door. You know, some verses there. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul said an effectual door is open. When we see about this door being open, it's an open door for us to go through. We need to travel through a door. Sometimes the doors, we don't know where doors are going to take us. I don't know. You ever got to get in an office? You ever been in an office building trying to find where you're going? you got to start opening doors, see who's in there. Oh, this door's locked. This door. You ever notice you keep trying to try, find your way, keep jiggling the doors, find our way in? Well, the Bible tells us numerous verses, and it was amazing because every time I looked up the phrase open door in the Scripture, it's always tied to evangelism. An open door is open to the Gentiles, an open door to come to Malida or another country. So we see when God opens the doors in our lives, we are to go through them. We are. And sometimes, that's the thing, when do we know the door's open? How do you know the door's closed? Well, sometimes, remember when he said to Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks? Huh? Boom, ow, boom, ow. Do you just find yourself week in, week out, wondering why you're not moving? Why you're still in the same spot? Why nothing's happening in your life? It just seems, mm, nothing's happening. God's not doing anything in your life. You seem like you're dead. Have you gone through the door? See, some, the Lord will open doors in your life, sometimes whether to move, sometimes to join a ministry, sometimes just open the door to get you to pray. See, but sometimes he wants you to close doors. Maybe he'll take someone out of your life. He doesn't want you to be around because they're a drag to you. They're dragging you down. Every time they're around you, they got something bad to say. And when they leave, you feel worse than not better. Maybe God's going to close the door. I don't know. See, that's something we have to interpret in our spiritual life. When does God open doors for us? When does he close them? But see, he will do that because he told us he will. And he promises he will. And that's what he's telling this church right here. No man shutteth. 
No man, we can't go against God's will. I mean, I can, but you know what? We got to see why. What's some of the reasons? Why, why is the Lord doing what He does to us? And this is amazing. One, if you turn over to number eight, we're going to see we're dependent. They're dependent on the Lord's strength. See, He tells us in verse eight, "I know your works." I know. Remember, we've seen that statement many times. I know that works. And he set that door before us. But he also tells us he has a little strength. Just a little bit. Just a little. You know, sometimes you ever feel like you're hanging on by a thread? You just, oh, sometimes sin just overwhelms you. Sometimes the guilt of sin. Sometimes the temptation to sin. And we're just hanging on by a thread. Please, God, we need something. You ever notice you ever sometimes, you ever try to sin? I've had this happen where I'm just determined. I'm doing that. Plain up and simple. And just everything goes wrong. Like if you're going to go somewhere, your car don't start. And you just, God puts these little hindrances in our way. And what do we do? We keep going around them because we want our sin. And if you ever found that God throws you little hindrances, that still small voice. When Isaiah tells us that that voice that walks us, he says, hear you. This is the way to walk in. Listen to that small voice. And so they're dependent. They had a little bit of strength. And, you know, some like us, sometimes you say, I, I'm not a Christian. I don't even know my body. I can't do these things. God says you're not wise to compare yourself amongst yourselves. See, it's you compare yourself to God. Jesus is our standard. Turn to Mark. Turn to Mark chapter 9. I, I like this story. Man, I'm a parent, and I think about, man, if it was my child. But... The beautiful statement this man makes in Mark chapter 9. His son's being tormented. Sin is just wrecking this boy's life. Uh, chapter 9. Let's pick it up in, um, well, let's pick it up in verse 20. On the story, Jesus has been up in the mountain. Remember his transfiguration. He's ready. He comes back down. All the disciples are talking around. They've been trying to work a miracle, but they can't get nothing done. And in verse 20, he says, and they brought him. Brought him unto him. They brought this child unto Jesus. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground, wallowed and foaming. Could you imagine seeing your child like that? I mean, the pain when you see it, to see your son in a hospital better, to see your child hurting. And there's nothing you can do except bring him to Jesus, which is the best thing we can do. So Jesus asked him, How long has this been happening? And in verse 22, he explains to him, oftentimes he's cast into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. Look at this. Can you come to the Lord and ask him? Verse 22. But if thou canst do anything. Wow. Who's he talking to? Have compassion on us and help us. And the Bible says a bruised reed he won't flax. When you come tenderly to Jesus, He's never going to cast you out. He is always going to hear you. Look at verse 24. And straightway the father of the child cried out with tears. I want to cry. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Do you have struggle with your faith? I mean, there's t- I mean, can you? I have trouble believing I can move a mountain. Do you? Can I look at that mountain? Hey, mountain, be gone. I don't know, maybe I feel like I'm tempting God by trying to prove it, because what I want, I want them out in the move. But this man cried. See, he had a little bit of strength. He had a little bit, just a little, and hold on, and what does God do? God said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we are dependent, when we're crying, when we realize that 
that's all we have. We're just barely hanging on to our faith. Sometimes this world, as Job said, by the skin of our teeth. But you know what happened? If you're dependent on the word, then you're dedicated to it. Let's turn to Luke chapter 8, parable of the sower. We're going to see how they're dedicated to them. Are you dedicated to the word? See, this is, as we go through this book, it is about the word of God. He is holy, he is true, but he is the word. But Luke, Luke chapter 8. We're all familiar with this parable. In verse 5, it tells us the sower went out to sow. Sow some seed, just grabs it, throws it out. You know, wherever it lands, is where it'll be. But let's turn it to 15. We're looking at Pacific dirt. Verse 15, Luke 8. But that on the good, but that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart. Well, that's where it starts. Boy, the last time I checked, my heart was deceitfully wicked above all else. Having heard the word, that's where it starts. Remember, he to have an ear, he to have an ear. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing, not believing, not trusting. Not standing, not sitting, hearing. But he did. They which have in a good heart and having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. See, you got to hear the word. When you hear the word, when you hold, thou hast kept my word. Where do you keep your word? On the shelf in your Bible? Pick it up when you come on Sunday when you try to find it? Meantime, a whole entire week, you never even cracked it open. Not even, not even a verse. Not even a verse for the whole week, the whole month. Now you're in a verse. How can you grow? The Bible says a newborn baby's desire. That's something you need. I mean, you know, baby, when they're hungry, whoo, they're going to let you know it, aren't they? What do you do when you're hungry? Hmm? What do you do when you're hungry? Hey, pastor, uh, I was reading this verse, and I'm not sure what it means. You, you know, I still to this day, and I've asked some wise people, but maybe I better ask pastor. <laughs> it was when Jesus is given the... the um, I'm digressing. But when he's, he's at the um, Olivet Discord, when he makes a statement, where the eagle is, there the carcass is. I have struggled with that verse for a long, long, long time. But actually it just means <laughs> there's a dead body, there's a carcass. That's a sign. That's just a fact. That happens, that happens. But I still, that verse has always stuck in my head all these decades. But either way, let's get back to Revelation. See, if you keep his word... With the sower, and you have a good heart and a pure heart, and you keep it, and you desire it, and you seek it. Well, you're going to want to desire it. The psalmist tells us in the Psalms about keeping the word. But you know what? You also got to be devoted. Verse C. They're devoted to the Lord Himself. Thou hast not denied my name. Wow. How do you do that? How do you not deny the Lord's name? Well, you know, for me, one way that deny it is. Every single time, and I literally mean this, and I probably doubt there's an exception. When I hear some unbeliever go like this, well, Jesus Christ. And every time, I call him out on it. Every time. Sometimes I'll be politely. I'll just say, you know, what? you're calling the, the Lord's anointed, the Messiah. Well, why are you saying that? What are you talking about? And then they look at me like, huh? Or I'm, I just ask, hey, what's your mother's name? You know, I'm saying mother's name. Okay. Well, Rose. Well, I can curse your mother. You're cursing my God. See, I'll, I'll give an analogy, but I'll call him out. Why? Because I'm holding, I honor that name. There's no other name given among heaven. There's no other name than the name of Jesus. By him, everything was created. There's nothing without Jesus. 
Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That was not denied my name. How you deny his name? Well, most of the time we think it because we get in the crowd, we don't say nothing. Huh? Can, what about this? Can you pray for your meal in a restaurant? Can you? Jesus, thank you. Okay, let's all bow our heads silently. Forget that. I thank the Lord for every piece of food I ever eat. And I don't mean that's spiritual, I'm holy. I'm just, that's just me personally. I'm grateful. But see, how do you not deny his name? You hold on to that name. That name is precious. That name changed my life. That name, that name is above all names. That name is Jesus. I can't stand no one cursing it. Every time I'm watching a movie or TV and I hear someone curse, you know what I do? And I'm, I'm just telling you it's me. I pray for the scriptwriter that put that thing in there. And I ask the Lord to forgive him. Just, why? Jesus stood on the cross and the Father forgive them. They know what they do. If God himself can forgive them, how come we can't? See, that name, when I hear that name, Jesus, I mean, that name is precious. His name is Jesus. And I love that name. But you know what? See, the Lord protects us. The Lord watches over us. The Lord takes care of us. Lord shows us. We see now he's going to tell us. He's going to honor us. Christ will honor unbelievers, the hospital. He tells us in, in point A about the synagogue of Satan. And I like that. Doesn't that show that? That's a real emblem. <laughs> That's real. Satan right up there in the Jewish star. See, what, what was happening here is, as remember you read the book of Acts, who's the one that's always causing Paul the trouble? The Judaizers. They were following them everywhere. Almost all the trouble, it was the Jews that were attacking the Christians. And it's the same here. People are saying they're Jewish. But the Bible, remember, the Bible gives us a definition. Who's a Jew? It's not one that's in the, not that you're born into the tribe of Judah. But it's one that loved the Lord, that loved them with their heart. So we see that Jesus says he's going to have them. He is going to make them come and praise thy name. Amazing. Turn to Isaiah chapter 60. Let me show you this little outline here. The Lord, the Lord promises, this is a millennial verse. Almost every time from uh, pretty much Isaiah 60 on is uh, mostly all about the millennium. It's just scattered about the millennial reign of Christ and all that's going to happen and take place in there. And it's a beautiful place. But over there in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60. Let's see if it's 14. Let's pick it up. Um, I'll pick it up at 14. What he's talking about, well, this first thing, the glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, verse 13, the fir tree, the pine tree, symbolic of people, and the box, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. My sanctuary. That's God talking. And I will make the place of my feet. You know God's going to be standing there? Glorious. What's he going to do? Verse 14. The sons also of them that afflicted thee. That's basically the whole world. Shall come bending unto thee. And all they that despise thee. Boy, you know what? Doesn't everybody hate Israel? Boy, ask an Iranian how they love a Jewish. But God says that what they're going to do is they, they shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet. And they shall call thee the city of the Lord. What did Jesus say he's going to do at the end of, for this church? Give him a new name? The city of the God? The Zion of the Holy One of Israel? See, God is going to... And, and I've, kind of, I've had this happen in a way, in, at times. I don't know. See, sometimes... How do I put this? this the, the Christian life. You want to go up, you go down. 
Remember, Jesus said, you want to be great, be a servant. But every time we put ourselves up, we end up lower than we thought. Now, you ever find in your Christian life people mock you? I don't know when I first got saved, I kind of got mocked at when I was like, oh, God's so good. You know, oh, what I just be called a holier than thou. And even like the Bible said, you're ho- what are you, holier than thou? Well, yeah. <laughs> but when you're trying to live your life and people mock you, make fun of you, or, you know, they end the windows, or you hear the stuff behind your back, you know, come circling around. You know, Ecclesiastes says, don't hear everything you hear, because you know you talk bad about people yourself, and that's what he's referring to. But he's going to make these people of the church of Satan, he's going to make them come down and bow to your feet, whether in this life or the life to come, because it will. See, God will always honor you. If you honor him, he honors you. If you fight for him, he fights for you. You defend you defend and hold fast that name of Jesus, he'll hold on to you. But what happens when we forget God? Well, don't be surprised if you're going, and you ain't hearing nothing. And when he says in the Old Testament, I'll make your heavens of the brass, and your prayers go, Spoom! why? Because you don't hold his name. You don't honor. You don't trust. You don't follow. You deny his name. See, so you don't, I'm not going to deny it. Well, Peter did. Don't ever say you never will. Peter did. Now, to his credit, did Peter have the Holy Spirit at the time? No. Holy Spirit came later. But nevertheless, people still deny. We, we, we read many characters in the Scripture. But let's move on. See, if we honor him, when we come to that synagogue of Satan, you know something? You guys think the synagogue of Satan ain't real? How do you like to join the membership? This is real. All right, let me just go. This is the Satanic Temple. And there's an eye. There could be, that's like the Presbyterian Church against the Baptist Church. Why you should come here? Satan is alive and well on the planet Earth. And he's, he's got membership. Look, $250 you can join. See that one? Oh, membership prices. Oh, it's Church of Satan. You got to pay $250. they will let you in for free. There is a synagogue of Satan. There really is. Don't, you know, we're not there to worship this guy. Nothing to do with him because God loves thee. But we see that the Lord will make them come before your feet. And in time, if you do well and not winter, God will always, always, always exalt us and lift us up. Let's continue on. Let's just pick it up at three for the sake of time. We're going to, the purpose behind this message, what he's coming. You know, he tells us in verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. You know, we probably hear that so many times, we don't even listen to it anymore. Behold, I come quickly. Is Jesus going to come today, Pastor? I hope so. Good answer. Good answer. You got a crown, Pastor. <laughs> you know, because there's a crown to those that hope for his appearing. Yes. Most Christians have not a clue that Jesus Christ is coming. I mean, they hear the second coming of Christ, and that's it. But do you wake up in the morning yearning for it, desiring it? Do you wake up in the morning? Do you read your Bible and, and even so come quickly as we see in the last thing the Revelation tells us in verse 22, or chapter 22? See, do you love his coming? But see, there's a difference. This one he's saying, behold, I come quickly, is in the general sense. Because remember when we saw back in Ephesus? Let me find that. When he's going to, I come quickly and I'll take the, look at the, Ephesus, look at the church's Ephesus Revelation 2, verse 5. And he's telling them, remember from where you've fallen. Remember, get back up. 
do your first work. You know, the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times. Not, I've loved that verse. And I've always said that's seven times. And, you know, number, completion, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That means he went like this. Oh, I blew it. One. Oh, I blew it. Two. All these seven times he got up. A righteous man, get up. Christians don't quit. If thou faint in the day of adversity, your strength is weak. Then what do you need to do? Desire the sinners to open the word that you may grow. You haven't been reading the Bible. You haven't been hearing the preaching. Because, again, I say this and I thoroughly believe it. I convince my own self of this. Faith comes by hearing, Roman tells us. How much preaching do you listen to? Do you listen to pastor during the week? Or is this the only preaching you get is today? And that's it. Well, how many meals did you miss for the rest of the week? Did you skip dinner on Tuesday? What about lunch on Wednesday? We make all our meals, but you can't face, feast on the Word of God. And you wonder why? We wonder why our life's a mess. Why are things hard? Now, it almost trades off too. The more you get into the Word of God, boom, the more Satan wants to attack you. Why? Because now you're bright, you're bright and shining light. You're that candle that's hit on a hill. Everyone's looking, whoa. Now Satan wants to blow you out. Satan desires to sift you like wheat. But see, he says he's going to come quickly. And see, that's be cold. If you read it, and it's real careful, and that's a lot of things in the Bible, especially Revelation. One single little word changes everything. He says, I come quickly. But let's look at the difference. Look at Revelation 2.5 again. Remember where we were at? And the first, do the first works, middle of the verse. I will come undo thee quickly. This is personal. The Lord will come for you. The Lord will come to take you. And I will remove thy candlestick. And that's where, unfortunately, that's where a pastor comes in the picture on that one. You know what that means? And I've seen it happen. I've been, unfortunately, part, kind of part of it. And sin gets in the church, God will take the pastor away. He will. Churches close down. They shut down. Why? Because the people. Why? Because the people aren't reading the word. The people aren't desiring. The people aren't seeking. And finally, sin comes in our homes, and we come here like we're, as what Isaiah tells us, these people, they sit before me as my people. They sit as my people. They love to hear me. They, yay! But their hearts are far from me, and their lips are not even there. God doesn't even have our hearts. But he tells us, see, in Revelation 2, 5 and 16, that he's going to come unto us, us quickly. What about you? And you say, well, how's he going to come quickly? Well, he can just take your life away. Can anybody remember the name Sapphira? Remember her story? One act of sin. Well, God's not going to judge. God's not waiting there to whack us like that because all manner of sin and blasphemies are forgiven. But sometimes God just puts a little ump on our thing. Why? Because he loves us. He desires us to grow, to be with him. So as we see, the Lord's going to come. He's, yes, his second coming is coming. We know that's coming. We know it's going to be here. But sometimes it also comes for us. Let's continue on. So here's the purpose. He's coming. Our challenge is to hold on. See, verse 11, hold fast. Verse 11, hold fast. And you know what that means? Do you know what it means? <laughs> Grab on and hang on for dear life. Don't let go. Then you get a crown. You know how? I like the crown. You, you say, well, how are we going to put all those on our head? I don't know. Stack one on top of the other. I don't know. But you know what? I just know the Bible tells us, and there's a list of some of the crowns. See, there is a crown waiting just for us coming. 
There's a crown because you hold on. You hang on. You hold on. You perseverance. You don't let go. See, there's a crown for the believers. Everyone have a crown because that's what we get in the Bible. We're casting. Remember the 420 elders? We'll, we'll see that later. They were casting their crowns, plural, not one. Those 24, they had crowns. Why? Crown of life, crown of rejoicing. See, there's a reward. There's a great reward for loving the Lord and following Him. But you know what happens? See, we, we see the statement here in the end of verse 11, and he's, that's the warning he's given this church. The challenge is to hold fast. Hold it. Why? No man take thy crown. You're saying I can lose my crown? Your crown, you get it through salvation, correct? How else you going to get your crown? You got to die. You got to get to heaven. But you know what? Just like I came out of Egypt, there's a whole multitude of unbelievers. Oh, but they look just like the unbelievers. They look like Christians. They act like Christians. They even sound like Christians. They even worshiping the God Jehovah until Moses, until the man of God's out of sight. Ooh, let's make us a golden calf. Let's have a party. Let's have a good time. Ah, oh, forget God. And what happens? Every time they come, every time something happens, they're bad mouthing God. Finally, until we got to where we saw in the doctrine of Balaam, they're about to enter the promised land. What happened? More sin. Well, God said He weeded them out. Remember, they wandered in circles for forty years till He killed all the unbelievers. Even in the church. Remember? Lord, where are these tears coming from? They're growing up. What are all these unbelievers in the church? Look at, look at these people. Get them out of here. No, 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 no. That's not pastor's job. It's not our job either. Why? He said, no, no, big man, big man, let them grow. Now, our job is to fight against them. Don't let them influence the doctrine. Don't let them bring in that doctrine, Jezebel. Don't let them bring these doctrines in, into the church. Guy. Because when they come in, what happens? People then, they start trusting in themselves. They don't realize they never trusted God. They lose the crown. They lose the crown they never had. He's trying to warn us that no man take. What did the devil do? Wasn't the devil the one that was come to steal? Hmm? Come to steal. To kill. Come to steal your crown. Make sure you have no joy. Make sure serving the Lord is miserable. Make sure you look like you suck lemons for breakfast and tell them that's the joy of the Lord is thy strength. No, that's what most Christians do. But you know what? You say you can't lose your salvation. You can't. You cannot. You believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. You believe that him, thou shalt be saved. But see, a lot of people don't believe it. They had the profession. With their mouth, they do honor me. But their hearts, have you trusted the Lord? And the question you ask yourself right now, as soon as it hits your head, if you were to die right now, boom, what was your answer? Don't tell me. Right now, in your head, are you going to heaven? Do you know for sure you're saved? Do you? Do you know for sure you died to go to heaven? You have to know. Why? Let's look at a couple of examples. Esau. We don't see the consequence. We know the story of Esau. What happened? He was a man, a hunter. Everyone loved him. His dad loved him. Everyone loved him. But what did Esau do? He despised his birthright, the Bible tells us. For a little bit of worldly pleasure, just a little bit of good, he sold it. Not realizing the consequence that that was for everything. That was his family. He didn't see the heavenly thing that Abraham saw. All he saw was, you know, I'm hungry. I mean me mine. Where's Esau today? He's going to be killed and wiped off off the face of the map. The last of his remnants are all going to be wiped out. That's one of the judgments in Revelation. 
Or read the book of uh, Obadiah. Wipe them all out. Every one of them is going to be killed. Every single one of them. Wow. <laughs> How about Reuben? Look what he did for a little sensual pleasure. Reuben would have been the father of Messiah. The Messiah, God himself, was going to come through his line. Reuben for just a little bit of sensual pleasure. One for a meal, one for some sex. Where are they at? <laughs> They're not here, are they? Just like a lot of people aren't in this room today. What about King Saul? Did not God chose King Saul? Samuel, I go, go find the son of Kish. You know, he's looking for some donkeys. Go, go find him. Well, what happened to Saul? God repented of Saul. He repented that he made Saul. That Saul even was around. Huh? And we saw this one, Sabina, when we look back at Revelation 22. God just telling us about two men, two, two government officials. One's leaving. The guy wanted to build his own cave. He, he wanted everything in this world. He got it. He got it. All his praise in this world. He built his own grave. I'm gonna, that's where I'm going to stay forever. Where is he today? We're talking about Elikim. Elikim got a prophecy of the Messiah after him. That's how good our Lord is. See if we can hold on. We've got to understand there's, there's consequences. You know, in the Christian life, there is consequences. If you don't walk with the Lord, if you don't want to follow him, if you don't want to get in your Bible and read it, whom the Lord loved, he chasteneth. And every son he receiveth. Samoan, we say, sasoi. Sasoi, bap. Right? Did the Lord give you sasa today? Lord whip you? You got a spanking this week, this month? Something had, God had to warn you? See, whippings aren't necessarily to make your car blow up. Sometimes it may be burn your toast or something just to get your attention. I don't know whatever reason, but God's trying to get your attention. Why? Because he loves you. Why? Because he's got this door over here. He wants you to go that way. He doesn't want you to go that way. He wants you that way. I don't know which way that is. You knew. You know. You know exactly where you're going. You know, at the end here, I like this. Look at this last verse. Verse 12. Him that overcometh, will I make a pillar. I like that. You know, see, what was happening here, when Jesus said he's going to make him a pillar in the temple of my God. <laughs> well, that's kind of a contradictory statement, Pastor. Is there a temple in heaven? There is in heaven, but what happens at the end? There is no need of temple, because the Lord is. So if God's saying we're going to be a temple in the new everything, but the Bible says there's no temple, hmm. No, what it is, see, there is time that this allegory, this is a symbolic. God says he's going to make a pillar, because you know what's going on at the time over here? You know what you can get for $10,000? You can get your name written on that pillar. You know, you ever go to churches, you know, into the pew, this pew is dedicated by blah, 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 and this pew dedicated by blah, blah, and this church was built by, you know, George and Martha, and their names on the plaque, and their names are there forever, right? Well, until the building falls down. But that's what they were doing here. For a nominal service fee, you too can have your name on the pillar of Zeus, or Dionysus, or whatever temple you, God you prefer. And I've actually seen, we, we were in England, I don't know if any of some have been in England, look at some of them old churches, I mean, 13, 14, 15, I mean, these things are old. And you're walking down the aisle, and you're walking over everyone's grave. I mean, they're literally gravestones all down the pews. I mean, everyone's paying to get their name inside the church. Literally, they're buried in it. Literally, actually literally. See, their name's on that pillar. Their name's on a pillar that's going to look like that one day. And it's going to corrupt and just fall away. 
and it's going to be nothing. It's worth nothing. See, when he tells us our security, I will make them a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go in, no more go out. See, that was always symbolic of going in and going out, that you got peace. You actually got peace. You got stability. Your pillar, pillars are boom, they don't move. See, look at that thing. It don't move. Don't move, and that's us. We should be a pillar. We should be standing strong and having done all, having our feet shod with the gospel, having done all. Stand. Stand. Don't give up your faith, Christian. Don't. Don't give up. There have been times I have given up. We all have. I mean, sometimes it's flesh, this this sin just, the Bible says the sin that so easily besets us just weighs us down. It just pushes us and pushes and it just doesn't stop pushing us. But how do we overcome? How do we persevere? How do we endure? That's what we're called to do in the Christian life. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Look at Psalm 23. We know that David, a lot of you are familiar with the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. I like this verse. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Verse 1. Verse 2. He. You know, I love this verse. What are we doing? What's the psalmist doing here? Nothing. He's just standing along for the ride. He making me to lie down in green pasture. He leads me by shepherd. You got a problem with your Christian life? Huh? Like all your storms look like these creeks and mud and turbulence. And you don't have peace like a river. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know something? We all walk into that valley. We're all going to get to the other side of it too, sooner or later. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What are you scared of, Christian? I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of men. Remember, he's going to have those from the synagogue of Satan come bow down? Huh? Right here. Thou preparest a table, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Now again, tell me. And I read all these things. He, 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 he. What did the psalmist do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And that's what you and me do. Nothing. This is what the Lord does for us. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and here's our last verse, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What do you think that pillar is? Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Are you Christian? Are you? See, back to Revelation. Verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. Huh? See, there's a kind of a point, counterpoint. Now, what happens if you're not keeping his word? Is God obligated to keep his? Hmm? Oh, we all want the promises of God, but we don't want to labor. See, everybody, everybody wants the fruit. Nobody wants to go pick it. Everybody wants to taste the feast at the table. Nobody wants to wash the dishes. See? Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them to dwell upon the earth. And those that dwell upon the earth made a little note there. That's always unbelievers. See, there is a difference. There is a difference. God separated us. God pulled us out. God's called us out. 
The ecclesia, that's what the church is. When we read these, ecclesia, the called out assembly. God sets us apart from everyone else in this world. But he wants us to be different. He wants us peculiar. He wants us to love him. And if you want to be a pillar in God, if you want some of these promises of God, well, first off, you got to trust him. You do have to trust him. There comes a time in every man's life, you have to bow your knee, and you have to ask God to come into your heart. You have to. There's no shortcut. There's, there's just no other way. There is no other way. I am the way. Remember, Jesus also said, I am the door. And if any man want to enter in, come to me. Come to me. See, all the sheep and robbers, and there's so many false doctrines. There's so many that are so close. They're this close. Well, Jesus loves you. He understands. You know, put a wafer in your mouth. Whatever. That's not salvation. That thou shalt profess with thy mouth. See these two lips? The mouth that you use all the time, there's only one, two ears. We're supposed to hear more. But if thou wilt profess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thine heart. Believe. Believe what? Believe that God came in the flesh. If thou wilt believe in the heart, thou shalt be saved. And that's something we all have to know. And that's what the, all these revelations we see. If you read them carefully, it looks like you're going to lose your salvation. But no, remember, there's people that never had it. They never, ever had it. But they're in the church. They're in the church. Sitting right next to you. And that's what he's saying. And I will come quickly. And he will write a new name. Remember that? There's a new name written down in glory. Maybe we'll sing that today. Scotty, put that on the list. <laughs> a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. I remember the day. I remember the day, the hour, the moment that my name is written in heaven. I remember that day. And I'm glad God ain't got no eraser. And I'm glad he didn't use invisible ink. I'm glad it's etched in stone. The stone that the builders rejected. <laughs> Here's my name. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to praise you and thank you for your word. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. And Father, we just ask that you would give